On July 11th, 1955, President Dwight D. Eisenhower signed a bill that required the inscription, In God We Trust to appear on the U.S. currency, both paper and coin. Uh, When the resolution was first introduced to the House of Representatives, Charles E. Bennett of Florida uh, said this, Nothing can be more certain than that our country was founded in a spiritual atmosphere and with a firm trust in God. While the sentiment of trust in God is universal and timeless, these particular four words, in God we trust, are indigenous to our country, he said. Although U.S. coins had already had the inscription in God we trust since the, uh, just after the Civil War, long before the uh, passage of this law, paper currency did not have those four words inscribed until the first dollar bills were circulated on October 1st, 1957, shortly after uh, the act of Congress, which declared that phrase our national motto. Of course, coming up with a motto, printing it on the money, doesn't necessarily make it true for everyone, right? Uh, evidence abounds that, that, that people in our country or uh, people around the globe trust in many things other than God. Money is a popular one. We trust in uh, money uh, a lot. People do that all the time. We try to make sure we have all we need and maybe a little bit more, right? And we want to be financially secure. Well, how's that working for you these days? A trip to the gas station or to the grocery store, a peek at your 401k statement uh, probably reveals the craziness of putting your trust in financial stability, right? Uh, Some people put their trust in their relationships. I'm sure you've never had anybody let you down ever, right? And so you can put your trust in your relationships. Maybe you've been disappointed. Maybe you can put your trust in your country, in your government, Again, how's that working for you? Uh, I, I, I think a lot of us put our trust in ourselves, right? In our own wisdom, in our own abilities. Whether we, uh, uh, whether we say it or not, uh, how we act, usually we, we I'll just trust what, what I think I know and, and what's best. And I mean, you've probably never let yourself down before, right? You've never disappointed yourself. The next psalm that, uh, that, that we're going to study focuses a lot on this issue of trust, uh, doing uh, what our money says that we do, putting our trust in God. We'll, we'll be flipping over in the old psalm book to number 37 this morning. Uh, it's the next track in the summer mixtape. It's uh, another psalm of David, and this one is the longest psalm that we've looked at so far. Uh, Some scholars put this in the category of more of a poem than a song, uh, not only because of its length, but also because it has a very interesting organizational structure. Now, reading it in uh, in English, you wouldn't catch this at all, but uh, this is actually an acrostic uh, psalm, uh, with only a couple of exceptions. Every other line begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. I know, a little complicated, right? We don't really, uh, again, we don't catch that in, uh, in reading it in English at all. Some of you that brought your Hebrew Bibles today probably had that already figured out. Um, I had to look it up. But uh, uh, this is one of nine psalms in, uh, out of the 150 uh, that, that are set up 
that kind of way as an acrostic, the most well-known being Psalm 119, uh, which, uh, which has full sections organized around the Hebrew alphabet, uh, and it has 176 verses. Um, that's going to be some sermon coming up. I'll let you know. You'll, you'll, you'll want to, we're, we're probably going to skip that one. But, uh, but anyway, so, so it, it's, anyway, that kind of gives a little bit of a, a background here uh, of, of Psalm 37 as we step into it. We're not going to read all 40 verses this morning, but I'd encourage you to open it up in your own Bible or on your device uh, as we study it today. We'll, we're going to read the first nine verses, but, uh, but, uh, um, we're going to, uh, you, if you have it open, you can refer to uh, the rest of it as well. Uh, in those first nine verses in Psalm 37, the, uh, David lays out 15 rather direct instructions for us to follow. So uh, there's going to be a quiz after we read through it. You've got to find all 15. No, see if you can find all 15. We'll go through it together. Uh, no, uh, no, no pop quizzes this morning. Uh, Psalm 37, beginning in verse 1, it says, Do not fret. Because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will inherit the land. Did you get all 15? We'll do it together. Here we go. So, the uh, do not fret. It's actually up there three different times, uh, the, a, a, a big theme in this uh, section. Trust in the Lord is up there a couple of times. Uh, don't be envious is another one, so now we're at six, I think. Uh, do good is another instruction. Dwell in the land, enjoy safe pasture, take delight in the Lord, commit your way to the Lord, be still, wait patiently, refrain from anger, turn from wrath. There's 15. You got them all? Let's, uh, we can just pray and go home. We've, there's the instructions. We got to do it, right? Actually, I mean, 15 instructions in nine verses sounds like a lot of work. Uh, David wrote a poem about 15 instructions from God, uh, and, and that's just the first nine verses. I mean, uh, it seems like it's a little heavy-handed, right? Actually, and, and actually, if you have that open and kind of look through there, uh, you'll see that the the rest of the psalm pretty much elaborates on those commands and uh, really on, the, on a theme that was raised uh, clear back in Psalm 1, uh, what was that, a month ago when we, when we opened up the, uh, when we put the, the tape in the cassette player and hit play, right? And, and in Psalm 1, we, uh, this, this theme was raised and it's kind of hit on quite a lot through the book of Psalms. The theme is this, why does it seem like the wicked people are winning? And the righteous people are losing. Now, David's answer seems pretty simplistic, maybe, maybe even not all that satisfying, because his answer in, this, in these 40 verses is, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. 
Again, fret not. That's the, uh, the older, older language probably to use of uh, don't worry about it. And that's a repeated instruction here. Uh, the Hebrew word has the implication of, of, of anger. Don't get angry about. Uh, so actually, if we're, if we're looking at all 15 of these things this morning, which we will uh, uh, touch on today, uh, the first five are taken up with that, with that, uh, that phrase, don't worry about it. Uh, so, uh, refrain from anger, turn from wrath, fret not. Uh, it, basically, it's saying the, the same thing. Don't get upset, don't get frustrated, don't get bent all, all bent out of shape, don't worry if it seems like the wicked are thriving. Worry and anxiety uh, seem to be a plague in our society today, right? Statistics say that around 20% of Americans struggle with some form of diagnosable anxiety disorder. So one in five people, about 40 million Americans. Uh, of course, whether it's diagnosable or not, I'm guessing we all uh, worry from time to time. I look up, looked up lists uh, about, about what wor- people worry about these days. Uh, includes things like the economy, uh, political and social unrest, natural disasters, uh, the pandemic or future pandemics. If, if you kind of summarize all that, I think we're worried about our future. We're, we're worried about uh, what problems we'll have to, to, to face. We're worried about whether life is going to all line up the way I want it to or if there's going to be issues that I'm going to have to deal with. And, and uh, I, I want to have, have this, uh, this, this great, wonderful life. And I'm worried that this or this or this or this or this is not going to, uh, to, to, to make that happen. I, I, I want a, a good life for me. And, and I guess without saying it, but the psalmist David says it here, I'm also upset or worried or anxious or frustrated if, if that doesn't line up and if it seems like other people have that life and I don't. Especially if those other people don't seem to be as <clears throat> good and wonderful that I, as I am, right? They're the wicked people and they're doing great. And I'm the righteous person and I'm not. I get frustrated. I get worried about. I'm anxious about how life is going to turn out for me and why it's turning out, why it seems to be turning out better for these people that aren't following God. Because I thought following God was going to get me stuff, right? It was going to, going to be a blessing. What, what was, and, and now it's, and so I, and David says, don't worry about it. And the answer is, he gives a lot of reasons why. Basically, the answer is simple. It's reiterated throughout the psalm. Basically, David says, don't worry about it because the first reason is the wicked are going to get what they deserve eventually you can count on it. Verse two says, like the grass, they will soon wither. Verse nine says, those who do evil will be destroyed. Verse 10 says, a little while and the wicked will be no more. Verse 13, the Lord laughs at the wicked for he knows their day is coming. And it goes on like that. You can find more evidence in throughout the psalm. David also says, and not only are the wicked gonna get theirs, but the righteous will also get their blessing as well. Verse 9, those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Verse 17, the Lord upholds the righteous. Verse 18, the blameless spend their days under the Lord's care. Verse 23, the Lord makes firm the steps of those who delight in him. Again, keep looking through it. You'll see evidence of that throughout this psalm. Uh, the, 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 the wicked are going to uh, receive just uh, punishment for their wickedness and the righteous will receive blessing and the presence of God uh, because of uh, their, their faith and trust in him. 
I guess in other words, we need to recognize that we're playing the long game. We need to hang in there. Don't worry. God's got you. You can trust him. So it makes sense that, that, that if things are eventually going to turn out good for the righteous and, and very badly for the wicked, then we need, to be all that we, uh, we need to be doing all that we can to make sure that we're living for God. And this psalm spells out some great ways to do that. Uh, over the, over the uh, well, a couple of times uh, over the years, I've shared with you a system of principles from a, a Nazarene pastor that uh, from, from, man, several, quite a few years ago, I think it was in the 50s and 60s, that, that, uh, that he developed from his reading and study of Psalm uh, 37, uh, he, uh, he pulled out uh, what he has called the, the cycle of victorious living. And I've, uh, we've, we've done a couple of times touched on that or pulled things from that. Dr. Earl Lee was a, was a missionary to India and a longtime pastor in Pasadena, California, and, and uh, it wrote, a, wrote a book. It's, I think you can still get it from the Nazarene Publishing House, and, and uh, it, it talks about it pulls out principles from Psalm 23 that can be applied uh, directly to our lives and, and keep us living a, a righteous life free from sin and free from worry. And, and I think, man, it's just a great, uh, great outline of this psalm. We've already uh, looked at some of these instructions. Uh, if we look at this, uh, this, this cycle of victorious living, it will continue to help us to, uh, to understand what David is telling us to do and how we can live this life for God because that's the life that ends well. Trust me, David says, God is in control and we can trust him. So here's the cycle that Dr. Lee developed. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's this circle. You see the uh, uh, commit, trust, delight, rest. Commit, trust, delight, rest. Kind of like a wheel going around, right? Commit, trust, delight, rest. And going down the road, living your life, if you're doing these things, that at any time you see that fret and worry can spin you off the, uh, the, the cycle, maybe it's like popping the tire or, or uh, setting things out of balance, out of alignment. Um, worry is just a, a toxic part of, uh, of our lives that, and especially drags us down spiritually. And so David emphasizes that over and over again. Fret not, don't worry. Uh, and, and, and so, so uh, uh, as we look at this, and if you think about a wheel and how it's made, whether that's on your bicycle or your car or, or anywhere else, a wheel al- al- always has to have a hub, right? A, a middle, something that, that the wheel revolves around. And, and you see there that the center of the wheel, the center of our lives needs to be the Lord, uh, it says in, in Psalm 37, commit your way to the Lord. Uh, trust in the Lord. Take delight in the Lord. Be still before or rest in the Lord. And so throughout this Psalm, David emphasizes over and over again the need to build our lives on the Lord. He has to be at the center of your life because, and catch this, this is, this is vital, I believe, what is at the center of your life will determine your level of anxiety. If you're building your life on the Lord, there's less and less chance that worry and fret are going to send you off of the cycle. What is at the center of your life determines your level of anxiety. If your life is committed at the core to something other than God, if you are trusting in, if your life's delight is in things that are not God, fill in the blank, whatever it is, you will not find true rest 
from your worry and anxiety. Oswald Chambers has, has famously said in his, uh, uh, his uh, very well-known, best-selling uh, devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest, he says, all our fret and worry is caused by calculating without God. And I, we've, I've quoted that to you many times. I just, I just love that. I, I think it's so true. How many times have I looked at a situation and it doesn't add up and what in the world's going to go on now and, and this is going to happen and this is happening and, this is, and I get all worried and I haven't even put God into the equation, right? Yet he makes all the difference. Uh, in the same reading on the same day, Chambers also says this, fretting is wicked if you are a child of God. He's not pulling any punches. Our Lord never worried. He was never anxious because he was not out to realize his own ideas. He was out to realize God's ideas. So as we think about, as we look at this psalm, Psalm 37, we have to make sure that God is at the center of our life first. And that will uh, begin to alleviate our anxiety, right? But, but this cycle also includes these other things. And, and I wanna, want us to, uh, to look at those things as we, as we try to implement this into our life. The first one there is to commit. We have to, uh, verse 5 says, commit your way to the Lord. We don't seem to excel in commitment these days. Um, we won't even commit to a Facebook event until the day of. And that's only if nothing else comes up at the last minute, right? And here's, here's just a little, uh, little self-help for you. Um, I know there's that little button, you know, you see the event come up and it says interested. I, I, don't, I don't know if you know what that really means. I'll, I'll define it for you. The, the, the little button there on a Facebook event that says interested actually means, they just couldn't fit this on there. This is what it means. I see your event and I'm glad for you, but I'm probably not coming. That's what that, that's what that little button means even the one that says going, that doesn't mean a whole lot either. There's, there's probably about a 20% chance that guy's showing up. So it's not a very strong, we don't, we don't excel very much in commitment. Uh, the, heard the story of a young man named Tom who, who received in the mail a, a picture from his long distance girlfriend, Helen. And she wrote this note, this is back in the days when you actually sent things in the mail and you put a stamp and it was a, a heartfelt note. There was even a little perfume on this, just amazing. Picture in there and then a little note attached and, and it says, my dearest Tom, I love you with all of my heart. I love you more and more each day. I will love you forever and ever. I am yours for all eternity. And then she signed it, love, Helen. Then there was a P.S. and it said, if we ever break up, I want this picture back. <laughs> commitment. We don't excel in commitment. Uh, but, but finding victory over anxiety starts with commitment. We have to commit our way to the Lord. We have to commit our lives to the Lord. Wherever we're heading, uh, no matter how things are going to turn out, uh, my, my hopes and my dreams, it's not that I'm counting on all of that coming out the way I have it planned. I'm committed all that. I've committed my life to the Lord. It's the first, it's where we step into this cycle. And it's, it's not just a one and done commitment. It's not like, oh, I did that back there, so I must be fine. Uh, David uses the terminology and the, the, the tense of the, the, the word there that he uses in Hebrew uh, actually can be translated commit and keep on committing. Commit, keep on committing your way to the Lord. 
It's a lifetime of continued commitment to follow God and to follow his ways. We're committing ourselves. We're stepping into this cycle and saying, God, I'm yours. My life is yours. I'm committing myself to follow you. And that commitment means you're going to trust him. Verse three, trust in the Lord and do good. Verse five, trust in him and he will do this. The Amplified Bible uh, inserts uh, some, uh, some words in there uh, as, as it talks about trust. It says, lean on, rely on, be confident in the Lord. So those verses could read, rely on the Lord and do good. Be confident in him and he will do this. It's, it's an active trust. We're relying on the Lord. We're doing good in the process. I mean, you can say that you trust that a chair is going to hold you, but if you never sit down, you're not really exhibiting real trust, right? Uh, you saw that video uh, there, and uh, I don't know if you've ever done the trust fall activity. Uh, it takes a lot of trust, especially if you're a youth pastor and you're doing that with your youth group. Uh, just hypothetically speaking, if that has ever happened to you, uh, you're, you're putting a lot of trust in, uh, in, in middle school Anyway, uh, you're, you're, there's, there's, there, I don't, maybe you've done it like just with one person and, and you're supposed to fall back and they catch you like that dad that kind of got distracted and then, uh, but most of the time or a lot of times, uh, maybe you're like this where you start to fall back and you think you're going to trust, but then at the last minute you kind of take that step backwards and you catch yourself because you just don't trust that person very, because, and I get it. I mean, whether it's middle schoolers or your friends or, or your spouse or, I mean, maybe they're not all that trustworthy. I, but, but God is trustworthy. This goes hand in hand with, with commitment, right? Have you really given things over to God and, and trusted him with your life? It's, it's active. It obeys. It's not just, yeah, I, oh, I trust in God, but I'm going to live however I want. No, I'm going to obey. Well, it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Trusting in the Lord... I mean, it says it right there. It's not going to make sense. You're not leaning on your own understanding. You're not leaning on what makes sense. You're leaning on him. As you submit to him, as you're obeying him, then he directs your paths. This cycle is continuing. I'm committed my way to God. I'm, uh, I'm trusting that, that he has this under control. So as David gives us these instructions, he's saying this is the best way to live. And as we live this way, we'll be considered righteous and it's going to end well. Not the wicked. Don't worry about the wicked. God will take care of it. Don't wor- worry about whether you have committed yourself to the Lord and you're trusting in him. So, so we're not fretting. Uh, the Lord is at the center of our lives. We committed our lives to him. We trust him. Now it's time. To, it's, it, we're ready for the fun stuff, right? Delight. Take uh, Verse four, take delight in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So in this cycle, if, if worry and anxiety are what spin us out of the cycle and knock us off kilter, then, then delighting in the Lord, I believe, is the glue that keeps us in it. Uh, delight is all about joy and gratitude. As we commit our way to the Lord and, and we trust in him, uh, we, we thank him and, uh, and we rejoice in his presence in our lives. It's not about happiness, right? Being happy is, is, is so temporary. Things change all the time. But delighting in the Lord isn't temporary. Now, I don't want you to hear this wrong. I'm not saying that you take delight in every circumstance that comes into your life. 
Oh, isn't it awesome? I just fell down the stairs and broke my leg. Woo, glory to God, right? Or ah, my loved one just received a not so great diagnosis. Or man, isn't it great? My kids are going down dangerous roads and making stupid choices. Yes, thank you. Yes. I mean, that's just stupid, right? That's not, that's not what this is. This cycle does not revolve. This is important. This cycle does not revolve around my circumstances. That's not the hub. That's not the center. Uh, it doesn't revolve around what I'm going through. It revolves around the Lord. I'm not delighting in my circumstances. I'm delighting in the Lord in the middle of my circumstances. Huge difference. Huge difference. And of course, that's easier said than done. This, this cycle isn't just a little walk in the park. You, you think delight, oh, woo, yeah, that, well, it's not, it's not an emotion of happiness, right? This a delight, this delight takes intentionality and hard work, really. Uh, it's a decision. It's, it's not a feeling. It's a decision that I've committed my life to the Lord. I'm trusting in him. And as I lean hard on him, instead of leaning on or counting on the perfect circumstances that I wanted, I'm counting on God and taking delight in who he is and what he's doing as he walks with me, no matter what the circumstances are. There's, there's joy in the relationship, even if there's stress in the circumstances. Now, there's, there's another little phrase in there that we get hung up on a little bit. It says, uh, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. All right, that sounds like a blank check, right? I mean, I desire a fully restored 1987 Chevy Corvette, and I am delighting in you, Lord. And I think my Equinox is going to turn into, transform, before I get out to the parking lot today. And I'm going to have that core, and I'm just, I'm delighting in the Lord. It's a promise. I'm taking, not quite how it works, right? In fact, it's, it's funny, but, but, but the more that we delight in the Lord, the more he t- sanctifies our desires, right? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But if I'm delighting in the Lord, he is the desire of my heart, right? And, and so it's, it's not about me and what I want. It's when I delight in the Lord, it's about all about him and what he wants. So in, in looking at, at all of these 15 instructions over these first nine verses, we've, we've hit most of them. If you've been paying attention, we're walking through this cycle We're not getting upset about what we might be experiencing compared to others. The Lord is at the center. We've committed ourselves to God. We're we're trusting in him and we're obeying him. We're delighting in our relationship with God and all that leads to rest. Verse seven, be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Verse three, dwell in the Lord. Enjoy safe pasture. Yeah. It doesn't say retirement, okay? That's, that's, uh, that, that's, it says rest. Uh, it says be still. It says to wait. Uh, holy rest is, is not equal to a life of ease and comfort. What, what the psalmist is describing here instead is a life of peace, right? That doesn't, come al- uh, doesn't always come easily, and it doesn't usually come quickly. It's, it's a hard-earned peace. And there aren't any shortcuts. We're not just ignoring our circumstances. Well, you know, what, what, hakuna matata, right? Uh, don't worry about all that's going on over here. I'm just going to pretend they don't, that doesn't happen and just do whatever I want. Uh, it's, it's the hard work of in the middle of life circumstances, I've, I've committed my life to the Lord and I'm trusting in him and I'm delighting in him and whatever he's doing or going to do. I'm not worried about it. And it's only then that I can experience rest. 
Many, many years ago, a farmer uh, who had his land on the, uh, the, the, the Atlantic seacoast needed a, needed a, uh, a farmhand. And uh, he was having trouble finding one. Uh, Farmhands didn't really want to work in a place like that. There were uh, a lot of issues, especially related to uh, the uh, the ocean and especially the the weather that would come in off the ocean and and wreak havoc on everything there. And so finally, after uh, advertising for quite some time, uh, this farmer finally uh, interviewed a well, just, I guess I won't call him scrawny, but it's short and, and thin. It didn't necessarily look like the, 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 the typical farmhand, but this guy says, well, I, I, uh, I can do the job for you. And he said, well, are you a good farmhand? And, and his answer was, was odd. He said, well, I can sleep when the wind blows. Well, the that puzzled the farmer, but he was really desperate for a farmhand, and, and so he hired the man, and he worked around the farm, and he, he, he did all his work, and then some, and, and did a great job, and, and one night, uh, the farmer was awakened in the middle of the night by, by the wind howling as it's coming offshore, and the storm was moving in from the Atlantic Ocean, and, and he jumped out of bed, and he grabbed the, the lantern, and he rushed next door to the, the, to the hired hand sleeping quarters, and he shook him and said, get up, get up, there's a storm coming, we need to tie everything down, we need to make sure we're all set, and everything's going to blow away, and, and and the guy rolled over and, and he said, no, sir, I told you I can sleep when the wind blows. Well, that just angered the farmer, but he, he was uh, desperate to, to, to go out and to, to, to make sure everything happened and so, so uh, was, was ready for the storm. And so he went out and, and he, he went to cover the haystacks with the tarps, but, but they were already covered and, and uh, went to get the cows and make sure they were in uh, and, and locked in tight in the barn and, and they already were and, and he went to the chickens because they always go crazy in a storm and they were all already in the coop and, and the doors are shut tight and the, the shutters were tightly secured and, and everything's tied down and, and nothing was going to blow away and, and the farmer understood at that point what his hired hand had meant when he said I can sleep when the wind blows and he went back to bed, and slept as the wind blew. When we do the hard work of consciously committing and continuing to commit and and, and trusting in God and delighting in the Lord, it is only then that we can be at rest, even when life's storms blow around us. Peace comes because we know that God is still working on our behalf as we are faithful to him. Just, just because there's a neat little diagram, and a, a, we drew a circle up there and had some arrows, um, we might think, well, this is just the next little uh, uh, great thing, and, and it's, it's kind of an easy deal, right? And I can just, uh, there. well, it's a cycle of, it even has a name, it's a title. There we go. I don't want you for a second to think that this is easy and simple. It takes work, it takes effort, it takes prayer, sometimes agonizing prayer. It, it takes time of, uh, to, to, to quiet life's noise and to truly commit your way to the Lord. But it can become a way of life. I, I don't think we have to keep thinking about, well, now I'm on step two and I'm trusting and I'm, I'm applying this, this diagram to my life. It's, it's how we live in the ebb and flow of life with God. My life is, is completely centered on the Lord. I've committed myself to him. I trust that he's going to make things, even if it doesn't make sense, I'm trusting that he's going to make things work out in his way, in his time. 
I'm delighting in the fact and, and counting on it. I can have the joy of the Lord even in the middle of this circumstance that I wish was a whole lot different because I'm trusting and, and, and co- I've committed myself to him. And so I can experience the peace that doesn't make any sense, <laughs> the peace that, that passes all understanding, the peace of God even when the wind blows. It's not easy, but it's possible. And, and I want to go a step further. It's not just possible. It's expected, okay? It's, it's not just, oh, I could never do that. Well, that's what it means to live for God. We, we, we need to be living like this. David says, lays out these 15 instructions in the first nine verses of this poem to tell us uh, not only what is possible, but what God expects. You don't have to worry about how your life's going to turn out or why so-and-so's life seems to be so much better than yours or, or all the, we commit our lives to the Lord. We trust in him. We take delight in him and he brings peace and rest no matter what winds may blow. Lord, I pray there's, there's a whole lot here. 15 instructions, Lord. It's, it almost seems overwhelming to cover 15 things in a, in a sermon and then expect us to do it. Lord, I just trust your spirit. I trust that your spirit is, is moving and working and you are confirming and convicting all at the same time and, and you're confirming what you're already doing in our lives and, and, and we celebrate with you in that that, that we, uh, we have committed and, and uh, we're trusting in you and we can de- take delight in you and find your peace. And, and yet, Lord, there, there, there may be some who are experiencing that, that uh, conviction of maybe we're, we're, we're not quite where you need us to be. Lord, I pray that even as we sing, that, that you would be the center again, or maybe for the first time, that we'll celebrate the fact that you are in the middle of our lives and, and we're living our lives uh, with you, committed to you, trusting you, taking delight in you and, and resting in you. Lord, I pray that, 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 uh, that you would move and work and that we would respond how you desire us to, so that we can live the way you want us to live, a a, a life that is not fretting and worrying and, and upset about all the stuff that's going on in the world, but that we're living in a life committed to you, trusting that you have everything under control. Lord, we love you today. 